You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry. Welcome to the Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare with me, Carl Henry. Folks, this week's introduction to the show is a little bit different. Bernard Dunn, welcome to the Real Health Podcast. Good man, Mr. Henry. How's it going? I'm brilliant. I'm brilliant. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I, I know we've been speaking about this for a while. We have. Um, but uh, I'm glad that we, we've eventually done it. I was doing my research uh, earlier. I know you a long time. We worked together on Ultimate Street Challenge many, many yeah, years ago. Yeah. We've been out for a couple of nights since. Um, and <clears throat> I clicked onto YouTube and I watched that fight. And I rang my producer on the way over here. I said, we have to cut some of that audio and put it in. We've never done it before and put it into the podcast. I'm going to start with that fight. Yeah. It was, Epic doesn't really cover it. It was voted ESPN's <laughs> the fight of the year for that year. Uh, obviously winning the belt, winning the world championship was amazing in Dublin. Orchie covering it the first time in 13 or 14 years. Uh, it was an amazing thing to watch. Yeah, it would have been an amazing thing to also list, just listen to where you, like, you hear the tones of uh, Jimmy McGee there just describing it um, and him saying Bernard Dunn, champion of the world. It's, uh, even now, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, I suppose sometimes it feels like a dream, you know, that uh, it's 10 years ago um, and it's, uh, people still talk about it, so. Uh, it's it's great to have been a part and, and been given the opportunity to, I suppose, achieve my dreams. Uh, I started boxing at the age of five. Um, I had my first fight when I was six years of age. And um, I remember sitting on Barry McGuigan's knee when I was six and saying, you know, someday I'm going to be like you. And I said it to him. Uh, my dad was with me. Uh, there was a gym opening on Capel Street. And um, 23 years later, um, that dream was fulfilled. So it was... So boxing was always the goal. That was always what you wanted to do. I loved boxing. I was I was training from the age of, as I said, five. I used to, when other kids were out doing whatever they were doing after school, I was training with my dad in, in the kitchen. Um, you know, we'd even spar together. And uh, I'd go in and tell my mom, you better go in there and pick your, son, your husband up off the floor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my dad was great. My dad is the biggest influence of my life, uh, still is. Um, I went down last night to the National Stadium to, to throw my eye over the cadet championships. They were there and um, my dad came down with me. Um, he'd have a great eye for, for talent and and uh, he would, uh, he'd offer me great advice. So throughout my whole career, uh, he was he was superb for me. Um I remember, and I've told him this, you know, I, I remember when I was 15, 16 years of age and, you know, you hit that age of uh, uh, sex, drugs and rock and roll and you, you want to do things that your mates are doing. And you were in the gym boxing. And I, I was training and, and, I, and I probably resented him a wee bit at that stage. Um, I look back now and I, I thank my dad for everything that we have. 
for, did he, everything, for did everything he that I've achieved. Did he push you all the way through that? He encouraged me. He never pushed me. Um, he, had a, he had a way of making me believe it was my idea. Um, <laughs> he was very, very good at it. Um, I think I've learned a lot of my psychological skills from uh, uh, from my dad. Um, he had a way just of just encouraging me to realise that this is what you want to do. You bring up psychology there. One of the things, just watching the clip earlier, and I, I was at that fight, I remember it, is when you're, before you go into the ring, before you come into the arena, there was a screen, you're behind the screen, mm-hmm. you could see the shadow, you're kind of, you know, what goes into your mind at that point? Where is your head at? You're, the biggest <coughs> fight of your, of your career, the world championship in your hometown, doesn't get a whole lot bigger. You haven't got out into the arena yet. Where, where, where does your head go? What, what, what do you think about? I'm telling myself I'm ready. I'm telling myself I've, I've prepared in the right way. Um, you know, preparation is nine-tenths of performance law and um, the fighting part I can do. Uh, fighting part, you know, I was I was as comfortable in a boxing ring um, battling against another opponent as I am here sitting down having a cup of tea with yourself. So it was second nature to me to be in a boxing ring. The preparation piece was the key. Um, and of course, for that fight, you prepared more than any, any other, I think. I, I, I you know, I, I probably psychologically did. But I think in reality, I I never cut corners. So I I was I was never one to cut myself short in terms of training, in terms of being ready for something. Um, even the Kiko Martinez fight, um, which you know is one that a lot of people will remember. Mm-hmm. Um, like eighty six seconds. I trained for twelve weeks to get ready for that. I was in the best shape I could be in. Um, but I think my mind was elsewhere going into the Kiko fight, and I, I didn't implement the plan I was given. For Cordoba, um, behind that curtain at that stage, uh, I remember actually looking down and Cordoba actually popped out uh, at the entrance as I was coming in. And uh, we exchanged a couple of words. Uh, <laughs> his were in Spanish and mine were in, in English. And I don't think either of us understood what the other was saying, but uh, we, knew, we knew exactly what was going on. And behind all of that, so you go into the ring, you're going to fight this opponent. Is there a respect there? Or is there a, is it a hatred or is it a... How do you feel about the the opponent that you I about always to fight? respect my opponents. Yeah, I was never one to, you know, trash talk or or uh speak myself up. You know, I, I let my talk be done inside of the boxing ring. Um I remember one time I think it was Isham Pickering. Uh he and I never I, I never disliked an opponent. But Isham just got under my skin. And uh he he spoke quite a lot about you know, I've done nothing, you know, and I've been nowhere and I've achieved nothing. And he's going to show the world, you know, the following evening, you know, that, that Bernard Dunn is, um, is a fake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, we don't have to do this trash talk, Isham. You know, the 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 arena is sold out. Uh, we, don't need to, we don't need to put any more seats on, uh, bums on seats. But he persisted with it. And so I said, OK, I'll make you pay for that. Very first round the next night, I broke his nose. First round? First round. I went on and won the European title fight that, that, that night, and it was my first big, big uh, victory. Because Ishan was a former European champion, former world title challenger, and uh, it was my first belt, which is that blue one that you can see on top of the oh, shelf yeah. there. Yeah. Um, that launched me into the top 10 in the world. And to win that in front of you know, I, I love fighting in front of my home fans. I loved representing my country. Um, and that was the first time I was able to repay the fate, I suppose, that these people showed in me. How hard do you have to, did you have to train 
for fights like that? What, what, what was the training regime? How did, what did it look mm. like? You, you talk about the psychology of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, I, you know, feeling that I can't do this anymore. Physically being in the gym saying, I, I can't do another round. I can't. Three rounds later, you know, you're, you're still going. Um, so that's, that's, that was the benefits of, of being able to really drive yourself in training. That when, when shit hits the fan, you know, when your back's against the wall and you've got to dig deep, you know you've, you've done what you should have done in training. You know you've prepared in the right way. You know you've driven your body to where it's never been driven before. I, I remember being down against Cordova in the fifth round for the second time. I was coming to that. And I had literally no idea I was even in a boxing ring. None. I remember the first time I realised where I was, I looked up. And like I'm looking at you now, I looked at me, ma. <laughs> she, had a, she had a head buried in my dad's chest. I'll never forget it. She had a head buried in my dad's chest. And I, ta- I, I thought to myself, Jesus, what's wrong with me, ma? <laughs> and it was only then, whoa, you're on the floor here. Like you're, you know, what's going on? The referee's in the middle of his count. The referee's on two or three at this stage. And, and there's time, some, how do, when you get knocked out. Time stands still. Time, that's my, my question. Does time stand still? Because the way you're I'd, talking about I'd, it now, it I'd, sounds I'd, like it I'd, does. I had an out-of-body experience at that moment. I started speaking to myself about where my future was, what was next, where are you going to go. Um, I was on the fire brigade panel at the time um, to go in to be a fireman because, you know, I'd, I'd had my first child um, back in 2006. And I decided, OK, I, I need to have a backup plan just in case boxing doesn't work. And then I went and won the... European title and uh, I thought okay boxing's but I was still on the panel and I remember thinking to myself are you going to be a fireman is that what you're going to be because you know if you don't get up here it's finished it's over uh, you're, like, you're, people are going to say well done but hard luck and it's like is that what you want to hear now imagine this conversation takes place in probably three four, four seconds, seconds top yeah. and I was like and then I went through kind of the, the choices because I always talk about choices rather than sacrifices um, the choice I made in getting myself to where I was, the choice I'd made in moving away from my family, going away to Belfast, going away to America. Um, you know, is this it? Is this is this how it's going to end? Like, and I had this conversation back and forth to myself for what felt for me about twenty seconds or twenty minutes, um, and then I heard, "Get up, get effing up on your feet." It was my coach in the corner shouting yeah. at me, Harry, um, in his strong. Um, Belfast accent screaming at me just get up on my feet and I got up and uh, that was what I did in the gym it's what I what, where I pushed myself because I pushed myself to hell so, you, so um, you've been there you've been in that uh, physical I've, position I've, I've been to where I felt I could do no more physically mentally and uh, my body said okay we've been here let's get ourselves up and that's that's how I prepared. Yeah, I prepared. I prepared for war. I prepared to technically win, but I also prepared to to go down into the trenches, um, both physically and mentally. And and that's psychologically. That's why I was able to deal with uh, knockdowns, to deal with being under pressure, to not not lose focus. because yeah, it's very easy to lose focus when you get a punch in the face. Uh, you know, what's a, the great saying that Mike Tyson has? Everybody has everybody has a plan till they get punched in the face. And that's very true. So it's how you react to that. And it's 
planning that. What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? And how do I react to this? How do I? So I'm very much like that in my everyday life now. So I, I plan everything. Um, and then I work my way back to where I am. And, and to, to pull it back from the knockdown, mm. another six rounds to go after that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> and where, what I'm trying to do here is relate to the listener, which is, you know, in, they might have a 5K race where they fall apart. Or marathon runners do it all the time where they hit the, they hit the wall, for example, and they have six miles to go or eight miles to go. Or even in life where just shit happens. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by how you pulled it back together. Mm. Um, obviously planning preparation the hard work was done pre-fight um, and that you've been you push yourself as hard as you possibly could the people around you by the sounds of it your coach mm. in the YouTube clip that you could yeah. hear him roaring at you um, is there it's, anything it's been able to control that voice um, been able to control that voice in your head because um, it can talk us out of so many things um, it can stop us even trying to do something um, so I what's <laughs> What's the worst thing that can happen? You know, if I got back up there, what's the worst thing that was going to happen to me? I was going to end up back on the floor. But what's what's the best possible outcome? You know, and that's it there. It's sitting in the in the middle shelf. It's it's the world title. Um, you know, and what do I want to do? Do I want to give up? or do I want to keep going? Um, and it's controlling that voice and uh, it's suppressing it and saying and knowing that these negative thoughts are just. A moment in time and it will pass um it's control over negatives People, you know boxing is probably a little bit different in the sense that you know you, you can't be knocked out but if you're running a marathon or if you're just trying to lose weight or if you're trying to uh reset anything in your life uh, it's 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 controlling the negative thought and knowing that it's only it's it's a fleeting moment that you're going to speak to yourself and sometimes shit does happen as you said, you know, sometimes you get knocked down. Sometimes, you know, you give up chocolate for, for, for Lent, and one morning you wake up and you've, you've had a moment of weakness and you pick up a, a biscuit. Um, but the thing is not to give up. You know, one setback, one fall, one knockdown doesn't mean you quit. It just means you know you gotta readjust and actually get yourself back up again. So it's, it's taking ownership of the negative voice. Yeah, and knowing respects. that it doesn't control you. You know, it doesn't, you know, that's that's the voice that wants to take the easy road sometimes. Um, we'll always find that. Um, but it's, uh, for me, for me, for me, it was all about preparation in my role. And when I boxed, it was all about preparation. It was all about knowing that I had done all I could to be in the best possible physical shape I could be in. In boxing books I've read, they all say that, that when the knockdown thing, it, it, you feel, it feels like, like minutes, hours, as, and it's like three seconds, four seconds. Who guys see as bang, 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 I'd be seen as... Oh, oh. Slow-mo. Yeah, so I can, I can remember... You say you don't remember these things, I remember them. I remember being in a ring, I remember punches going past me, I remember being hit. Like, I've never been hurt, apart from Poonswot, the very last fight I had. Um, when I saw flashes of light, boom! So fuck, what was that? I never forget it. Um, white lights, big bright white light, boom! Every time he hit me. What do you that's, do there? It's one of those moments <laughs> where you say, "Come here, should I, I that was the third round I boxed this guy. Uh, so, but the first two rounds, I won easy, so I won on all three judges' scorecards. But I knew coming back after the second, I thought I can't do this for twelve. And I've got to make a stand here. I've got to make a statement that if you keep coming forward, you know, this is what you're getting. And I'll never forget, I leaned over and I, bang, I hit him. Big right hand. 
And he literally just smiled at me, <laughs> creaked his neck and walked forward. And I just knew, yeah, it's going to be a sort of... <laughs> Dolph Lundgren in, uh, Ro- do, in Rocky, do, in Rocky do, 4. Yeah, where do you go from here? <laughs> <laughs> where do you go? Well, so there's a, yeah, mm. it's a fascinating scenario. I... I, that fight ended in that round. He he finished me off. Um, and it was strange, you know. It didn't. Uh, if I was to fight again, if I was to fight Kiko again, I'd beat Kiko seven days a week. I think. Uh, I wouldn't get into anything with Pounsor again. He just he had a he had a strength I'd never experienced before in my life. Now I've been in the ring with you know Israel Vasquez, Johnny Tapia. Manny Pacquiao, and I've worked with all these greats, and then like I was, I was able to hold my own. Um, albeit I was only training, but I, you know, nobody, nobody gives an inch when you're in training. Of course. Um, this guy though had a freakish strength that uh, I wouldn't want to experience again. Really? Mm. I didn't want to experience. I didn't want to box again after. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't because of him. There was a lot of things that went on. Yeah, behind the scenes that yeah I had two young kids you know and I was I was 30 at this stage and I'd I'd be boxed for 25 years like 25 years in any working life is uh is is too long probably doing the one role um, and it's all I had committed to um it's all I had focused on and uh I knew I wanted something different didn't know what that different was but knew I wanted something different um, and I knew quite quickly after Poonswat that I didn't want this anymore. And you strike me as the kind of person that when the hunger is not there, it's time to move on. Well, I, you know, one thing I didn't want to do was to shortchange myself and shortchange uh, the people who supported me. Um, I knew if I continued, I was going to cut corners uh, because the hunger wasn't there, the drive wasn't there. Um, it was funny, and that probably came immediately after the Cordoba fight. I think, you know, winning the belt was great. Didn't mean a whole lot to me. Belt lifting the boot in my car in a black bag for about five years. Which yeah. I'm fascinated by. So you very kindly invited us to your home. I'm um, yeah. Stephen Gavra here. Uh, there's three belts directly in front of me. Mm. The gloves, the IFTA. Mm. And just having a cup of tea earlier on, you're saying the belts didn't really, didn't really mean a whole lot? No, they didn't. And uh, I remember after Cordoba fight, yeah, belt was put away and... For me, it was about demonstrating to the people what I could do, um, representing um, Neilstown, representing Dublin, representing Ireland, and uh, trying to bring boxing back to this country as well, I suppose, was a part of the role. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a very strange thing that uh, the belts don't mean a whole lot to me. Um, probably starting to mean a bit to me now. The kids are starting to understand who daddy who daddy was. Um, but yeah, I knew I just didn't want it anymore. And I was offered a three-fight deal and turned it down. I knew I was going to shortchange myself. I knew I was going to cut corners. And I thought, okay, that's time. Time to move on to something else. But what that something else was, took me a while to find that because I, w- I went through a phase of... Uh, I'm just two, two, three months of you know eating what I want and drinking what I want and staying out as late as I want. You know, you know no structure to my day. 
Um, and that was great for, as I say, you know, eight weeks, 12 weeks. Very quickly you get to a stage of, okay, well, what else are you going to do with yourself? I'm 30 years of age. Uh, okay, I've done well from boxing, but there needs to be a direction in life. I'm I'm very much a driven person, mm-hmm. um, but I had no idea what else I could do. And I had no idea what the second life was going to be. I had, I, had, I, I had never planned for it. Boxing, boxing was the one thing I had. Um, and it was frightening. Yeah, it was it was a dark place. And as ever, you found direction. <sighs> took me about nine months. Took me about nine to nine to ten months. I, I, I think it was in November. I was watching a fight. I was watching a fight in the room just behind us there. Um, I was lying like this, a cup of tea in my hand, and it was a it was a title fight on the on on the box. I was saying, "Geez, I could beat both these guys." And I thought, and I was thinking to myself, you know, we're in two, three fights. I could be fighting for world titles again. And I called my wife in, called Pamela in, and I oh. said, "Look, I said, uh, I'm, you know, told her the story, bit lost, not sure what's going on in life. Uh, think I may have left behind the one thing I'm actually good at, and I'm contemplating going back." Um, told her about the fight I was just watching. And what do you think? So here we are now sitting having a cup of tea and I, I never went back. So I could tell you what Mrs. Dunn thought of the whole idea. The whole idea. So well, there's a lesson that in terms of, you know, sharing your thoughts, talking it out, talking about people who are close to you and taking their advice on board. I think that's how I, I, I was quite good post Kiko. So being knocked out by Kiko, I trained the very next day after Kiko. I didn't change my mindset that I was going to be champion of the world. Um, but I always spoke. I had a very close team. Um, my dad, um, my wife, and my coach Harry. So I would have constantly spoke to them about any issues I was having. You know, if I didn't feel something was working, if I was frustrated or something, if I wasn't sleeping, I'd diary quite a lot. So I'd reflect quite a bit. Um, so I'd be able to look back over notes and say, "Geez, what, I've done something different because I don't feel great. What have I done? What's changing? Is my sleep pattern changing?" You know, did I argue with somebody else? You know, have I done something different in training? Did, have I eat? Have I eaten something that that I shouldn't have eaten? So I'd reflect quite a lot around why I'm feeling, how I'm feeling. Um, but those months after uh, retiring, there was just mayhem. Uh, Sometimes there, there people was, need a bit of that. Yeah, there was no reflection. There was no uh, thought process around what I was doing. Um, and then I went up. After having that conversation with my wife around coming back, and which she wasn't overly keen on, um, I went and spoke to my dad around, well, you know, this is where I'm at. And I said, I'm not sure what's next. And he asked me, he said, well, well what have you tried? And it was a simple question, but a great question. You know, what have you tried? I said, well, I haven't tried that, really. And he says, well, how do you know what you want to do if you say if you don't try things? And uh, he just said, you know, you learn one of two things and you try something. One, I want to do it and I like it. Uh, or two, you know, I don't like this and I don't want to do it. He says, that's all you find out. He says, so start trying things. And I did. And I've, I've been quite fortunate in, in finding things that I really like in life. Um, and I do them. I do the things that make me happy. And one of those was sports performance and lifestyle coach of the Dublin senior football yeah, team. Yeah, we went to Dub six years. Um, Four All-Irelands in a row. 
Yeah, it's led me on to now being the high performance director um, of Ireland's number one Olympic sport, boxing. Um, it's brought me full circle, I suppose, in my life. Ten years, ten years after being fully involved, and then saying, "You know what? I'm taking a complete break from it." I never went into a gym for over two years after mm -hmm. retiring, just for fear that I would come back. I'll come here. I, 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 I knew <laughs> with my mindset. I knew I'd train for three months. Uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be back in the ring in six. I knew I would. I knew I would. So I stayed completely away from the gym. Um, as you can see, I've put a pound or two on since I've retired. Uh, I used to weigh eight stone, 10 pounds, 55 and a bit kilos. How hard was it for you to make that weight? That was my, my final boxing question about 10 minutes ago, but how hard was it for you to make the weight and what did you have to do to make it? Because people read these stories of, you know, being in saunas and, uh, you I know, never did saunas. all the mad diets. So, sa saunas were my thing. Um, I'd, uh, I'd watch what I ate and I would, um... I would train in the right way, uh, which was really important for me. Um, but pre-Kiko, I probably did the things I always did. Like, I thank Kiko for me being champion of the world. I really do. Um, people think, you know, it's, it's probably the biggest failing of my life. Um, I think it's the biggest learning experience mm -hmm. for me. Because um, pre-Kiko, I kind of did the things I always did uh, in terms of... Uh, how I trained, how I ate, how I hydrated, how I looked after myself. Um, but Kiko made me say, okay, we need to do something differently here to move this forward, mm -hmm. to move it to the next level, to move to where we want to go. And um, having, having assessed that, then I made the changes within my, my team that I felt I needed. And it was uh, thanks to Kiko that I made those changes. And like pre-Kiko, for me making weight, like I just nearly starved myself for a week leading into a fight. I remember in one fight, I survived on three, three boiled eggs, two cups of tea and two slices of toast in an entire week. For a week? Mm, three, really, three boiled eggs? Three boiled eggs, two slices of toast and two cups of tea. For a week? For a week. And then I got into... Um, I get into fight. It's like driving a car and no, no, no fuel, no tank. Yeah. Yeah, so that was pre-Kiko. Post-Kiko, weigh in morning, I could eat a four-egg omelette, weigh in, and get ready to fight. Yeah, so stuff doesn't work out, you change it up. You go, you go and seek But out. even when stuff does work out, you should change it up. You should always be looking to change. You should always be looking to achieve excellence in what you do. And that's what I do in life. I look to achieve excellence in what I do. Folks, you're listening to the Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare with me, Carl Henry. So talk to us about the advice then that you give to the dubs, for example, teams, and obviously in the, in the boxing um, as well. But I'm fascinated in terms of advice around motivation, performance advice that our listeners can take away and apply to their own lives, be it in life, as well as sport, as well as mm. health. What are the what are the key what are your your key go tos your key recommendations? So I have a team. I have a team just flew out to Germany there recently. Um, we're taking part in the Chemistry Cup, which is the biggest, I suppose, international boxing tournament outside of the majors, which are Europeans, uh, Worlds, and Olympic Games. Uh, and again, for me, it's all about preparation. It's all about being ready. It's all about enjoying what you do. Okay, uh, so love it. Prepare for it. Yeah. It's all about making the right choices. I don't think anybody makes 
choices and think this is the wrong choice to make. But sometimes we sabotage ourselves because we were afraid of what we can achieve. We were afraid of uh, how far we can actually bring this. Um, whether it's trying to win an Olympic gold medal or whether it's trying to, you know, run a 5k uh, race. Um, we do somewhat put blocks in our way to say, hey, do you know what, no point in trying this because you can't do it. As we get older in particular, I think as you get older you become more comfortable. It's Things weird, I think, I think as I've got older I've become more adventurous. Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to write a book, I love writing. Um, Where did that come from? And the Graw for the Irish language? I'm fascinated by that because like, like, you're a big campaigner for that. Yeah, the Irish language came when I lived in LA. So I lived in LA and um, I remember walking down the street one day thinking or listening to the people beside me and they were uh, all speaking their own language. So LA was so multicultural long before. Ireland ever was and um, when they spoke in their own language with each other but then when they had to speak in, when they had to speak English they just spoke English with whoever they had to speak it to they went back to their own language and I thought Jesus I said I can't speak any of my own tongue and and, and I failed Irish in school it was no fault of the school um, it wasn't about how it was taught Um I trained from the age of 14, 15 before school every day. So, uh, you know, Irish was always my first class, so suffered a wee bit because of that. Um, now you're... So I went and bought myself a book and a CD over in LA and started to self-teach. Um, and then when I retired from boxing, I went to Oris Cronin, which is in Clondalkin Village, and they started to help me learn the language. And now I've got two Gaelgors as children. Um, who are far superior at language than I am, um, and they tend to laugh at me sometimes when I, when I make mistakes when we speak together. Um, I think you would have heard us as we came into the house there earlier on. We would speak in Irish mm -hmm. with each other. So um, that's where the language comes from. Um, that's where my love for that and Irish culture, uh, anything to do with our identity. It's a part of who we are, part of our DNA. Um, and the love for writing, well, I went back to college. So I went back to college, went down to UL first, uh, did a master's in performance psychology um, and discovered that I, I enjoyed, really, really enjoyed writing. Um, then I ended up writing two TV shows, um, Bernard Dawn's Mythical Heroes, um, and I wanted to write a book first. Um, but when I'd written the stories around the TV show uh, for the book originally, um, I went and met RT and uh, RT said, oh, we could turn this into a TV show. Um, let's try and do it. And here we are in the IFTA later. Uh, having, uh, you can see the IFTA <laughs> over in the corner. Uh, a prize possession. It really is. It's it's shocking to think that uh, I probably, not that I value it more than the world title, um, but I was more taken aback when I won that than I ever was uh, winning the world title. Uh, I was stuck for words, to be honest, when I got given it. Um, never expected it. And to achieve for a passion that I've got yeah, was superb. And then I met Michael O'Brien from O'Brien Press and said, look, you know, I'd, I'd love to write a book. Um, and this is what I'd like to write on. I had a couple of ideas. So tell um, us about the book. So the book, so I've written a book about Bernard Dawn, Champion of the World. 
Um, it, it's an autobiography, uh, as you can tell <laughs> by the title. <laughs> um, and it's about my journey. Uh, it's more aimed at the younger audience. It's, it's aimed at encouraging them to, again, you know, just because you're from a certain area, from a certain background, doesn't mean you're ever limited to, do, to doing a certain thing. You know, I'm I'm 39 years of age now, and you know I'm still open to trying new or going down new out, do new roads and trying new things. And I, I, you know, I like to encourage younger people and older people um, to never be afraid to want to be something more than is expected of you, um, because you just don't know where it could bring you. Yeah, you really don't. Um, and the book is aimed at encouraging and letting younger people see what I suppose what I went through and encourage them to never be afraid to try to do the same. And it's also to encourage them to read. Uh, it's aimed, it is aimed at a younger audience, although all my older friends have read it. Uh, you know, so they, they, they probably are a younger audience mentally as well, in fairness. <laughs> uh, but they, uh, they've all enjoyed it. So look at the feedback I've had on it. It was being brilliant. So I've actually started writing book number two. What was my next question? Um, is what, what's the, what is the future hold? We've looked at your past. We've looked at your current uh, I'm fascinated that where you go from here. Where what's next? What's next is Olympic Games 2020. I suppose that's my immediate focus, and that's my number one goal um, is to bring Irish boxing and be a part of a team um, that achieves Olympic success. Um, I'm the leader of that team, but I've I've got great people who sit behind me who who make it work who allow, I suppose, me to do what I do and allow the athletes to be the best that they can be. And like we seek excellence in what we do. Now, we want to be the number one high-performance team in the world. Um, that's our goal. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe and my team doesn't believe in setting small goals. Goals have to be hard, especially if you want to be the best at something. You've got to set them really high. Um, smart goals are great, um, but I think they're more towards... You know, if you want to run 5K, if mm-hmm. you want to lose a bit of weight, you know, setting smart goals and being being clever around it, being uh, realistic around what you can achieve. Um, but with the, with the type of personnel I would deal with, um, we're talking about elite sports people. We're talking about the best in their field. Uh, so we, we seek excellence in all that we do. And we expect excellence in, in the people that we work with. And there's a conviction in how you say that that leaves me in no doubt that you will uh, achieve that goal of being yeah, the, generally how I look at you tells the story of what I, what I mean <laughs> uh, I've been told I can, I can kill from a thousand yards with, with how I look at someone um, we aim to be the best we aim to be successful you know we're for the small nation that we are um, especially in boxing we've such a history and a history and a rich such a rich history of talent that's come through and achieved great success and given a great lift to our country mm-hmm. uh, in times when it's needed the most. And uh, the talent we have now most certainly has the potential to to do that again. I, I firmly believe that. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be as heavily invested if I didn't believe in what I'm trying to achieve. I wouldn't be invested at all, to be honest. I'm, I'm a, I tend to be quite blunt and quite direct around what I want and where I want to go. Um, and we want to be the number one high-performance team in the world. I think if there's one word to sum up the, uh, the interview and the learning from the interview for our listeners, I think belief has to be that word. 
at every stage through your career from then to now to the future belief is the key word um setting goals but believing you can achieve them with a conviction that you have i think you can hear that it's, no, it's tangible I, I, if, if you if you watch the fight again and listen to the interview post fight uh, especially the world title fight uh, one thing i said is believe you know i told you to believe you know i never stopped believing kiko may have knocked me on 86 seconds but kiko was a huge learning opportunity for me and um Parts change, uh, you know. You no line is, is no no part is, is is a straight line, um, and it's it's how you react to those those changes. It's how you react to having to turn left. Sometimes go backwards, you know, and sometimes you go around in a circle for a while. Um, but it's how you react to that and how you deal with it. Um, I dealt with Kiko quite quickly, in terms of in my own mind, um, maybe the people took a little bit longer. Um, People who didn't know me, I think more so than anything else, took a little bit longer to realise oh, this kid is this kid is, is hell bent and and still believes that he can be champion of the world. Um, two years it took me, but we got there. And that he was, and that is the title of your new book. Mm. The book's available in all good bookstores. It is indeed, yeah, yeah and it's available online as well. So, uh, you know, it's I, I hope people enjoy it. It's it's just an honest count or uh, recap of my life so far. It's chapter number one, anyway. Uh, my second life is only beginning. My second life no doubt there'll beginning. be many more chapters. Yeah. Bernard Dunn, thank you so much for Got coming. I know I've been uh, nagging you for a very long time to come on the podcast and a, chat a, to me. A, a, just slightly, yeah. So, if I was able to show people the WhatsApps that I have from you, <laughs> <laughs> they'd, they'd actually they'd think it was bored and on stalking. Slightly, slightly. We're very passionate about the guests that we get the show. Thank you so much for inviting us into your home and uh, for chatting to myself and to our listeners. Much appreciated. Folks, as always, you are listening to The Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare with me, Carl Henry. I hope you found that interview as fascinating as uh, I did sitting here listening to it in person. Bernard Dunn, thank you so much, folks. Have an amazing week and uh, take that one word with you from here till next week. And that word very much is believe. Have a great week. I'll see you next week. Slon. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry.